Father, I just ask that you would use me this morning. Father, I believe I've got something to say, but it doesn't matter what I have to say. It matters what you have to say. And so, Lord, I pray that people would receive it, hear it. Father, they'd hear something of the voice of the Spirit as I speak. Help me to communicate your truth in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So uh, during the month of July, we're going to repeat ourselves a lot. We are going to be talking pretty much every service around evangelism. So uh, it's, it's not because I don't think you're listening. It's because I just want to show you the value of it. I, I want to speak about evangelism, that our role and that what Jesus asked us to do is to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. We're to tell people about Jesus. Jesus asked us to go out and tell people about that. So that got me thinking, who are some evangelists in the Bible and what we can learn from them? So this morning, I want you to picture yourself in a helicopter, so strap yourself in, and we're going to do an overview of the book of Acts. And we're just going to have a look at the book of Acts, uh, around some evangelists in the book of Acts, and I'm going to pick three of them. So to be honest, the whole book of Acts is about evangelism. That's the story. It's the Acts of the Apostles as they were moved by God to go and preach the gospel and to see the gospel preached first in Jerusalem, Samaria, and then eventually Judea and to all their outermost parts of the world. And that is still going on today. But we're going to look at three personalities and three characters a little bit closer today. So the first evangelist that I want to speak about is Peter. Peter really speaks the first message there in Acts 2. He's with 120 people there in the upper room and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And it's here that we get our very first clue about true evangelism. Evangelism is a spiritual act. It's not a natural one. Peter goes out and preaches one of the most effective sermons that's ever been preached. He's bold. He's articulate. He's got great exegesis. He's got excellent doctrine. It's a brilliant sermon. And 3,000 people get saved that day and baptised. Now, there's no, they haven't heard, there's no preconditioning. This is the first kind of sermon ever preached about Jesus. Jesus resurrected 3,000 people who were kind of like in the old covenant they're there in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. So they're not thinking about the new covenant at all. But the sermon is so effective. 3,000 people on the spot decide, I'm going to follow this Jesus, this resurrected Jesus. And not only that, I'm going to get baptised. Now that would have been a long service. Baptising 3,000 people, that will take a long time. But it's, it's amazing. So Peter's sermon is so effective that he gets people to cross over from the old covenant to a new covenant. This is how we used to deal with God. Now we deal with God this way. That's, that's incredible. 3,000 people. Now I read the sermon many times. It's a great sermon. It's a good sermon. It's, it's well put together. It has all those different attributes but that is not the work of man. 
Doesn't matter how great the sermon was. For 3,000 people to decide, I'm not gonna access God this way any longer. I'm gonna go this way, a new way, a way I've never heard about before. I'm now gonna do this. That is God. And so that's the message of evangelism. It's not you who's responsible. It's God who is responsible. Before this time, before the Holy Spirit fell, Peter's not brave at all. He's kind of like a bit of a scaredy cat. He says that he's going to stand with Christ until death. But when the push comes to shove, when the pressure's on, he just runs away. He denies Christ three times. The Bible tells us that in one place he starts swearing to prove that he's not a Christian. There's a message in that as well, right? But uh, so, and that's what happens in the flesh. And if you're going to be doing it by yourself and you're going to try and evangelize without God, it is scary. It can be intimidating. But once he's filled with the Spirit, he's bold as a lion. You think about this. Do you know Jesus? No, I don't know who he is. Do you know? No, 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 I've never heard of him. Well, I saw you with Jesus. No, I wasn't blankly, blank, blank, blank. Right? That's just what's happened. Right? After Jesus said that was going to happen as well. Right? So you can imagine the first two. But imagine I said, you're going to deny me three times by tomorrow, right? The first time, he said three times, right? So I can do it once, right? The third time, like, it's a big deal. And he's swearing. So that's how fearful he had become. So this now, this is the guy who then runs away in shame and, and he's just not feeling so good about himself, gets filled with the Spirit. And now listen to the words. But God knew what would happen and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed and with the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and you killed him. Right, that's bold. These are the people that have killed Jesus. Now he's like, you killed him. With lawless Gentiles, you killed him. There's a boldness that comes upon him that wasn't on him before. When in push came to shove before, he denies Christ, runs away. But now with the Holy Spirit upon him, he's able to go, you you, you the ones who crucified Christ. There's a boldness that comes before him. He's so scared that he runs away and bees by himself. Now boldly and loudly and publicly, he steps up for Jesus. It's interesting, isn't it? People's love, Peter's love for people, his obedience to what Jesus has asked him to do and the empowering of the Holy Spirit allows him to overcome his fear. See, fear is always based in self. It's what are people going to say about me? What are people going to think about me? Am I going to be marginalised? Am I going to be isolated? Am I going to be thought less of? And so it's about you. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it's about the person. I care so much about that person's internal destination that I'm going to tell them the truth, even if they don't really want to hear it. And I'm going to allow God then to start to work upon them. When we love people, when we're willing to obey what Jesus said and go out into all the world, and when we deliberately wait upon the Lord for God's Spirit to come upon us and empower us, then all of a sudden none of that is about me. That's about the people I want the message to come across. That's about the people I want to hear the message of Jesus Christ. It's not about me. Can you listen to me and hear what I have to say? 
But it's about listen to how God thinks of you. Listen to what Jesus has done for you. Listen to what God has done. God doesn't hate you. God has forgiven you. God loves you. God is drawing you. He's not pushing you away. The majority of people feel that God is pushing them away. But God is actually drawing people. So I want to say, ask you to do something for me this week. Because I, I, I want you to put this into practice. Before you go out from your house this week, or when you just get out of your car and you just, just say, God, purposely say, God, use me today, Holy Spirit, to go and speak to someone. Let Be deliberate. Holy Spirit, let me just say one word, one sentence. You don't have to sit down and give a, a massive tree toss. You can just tell them, Whatever it be at that time, show an interest, show some care, listen to them and then just say something about Jesus and then just see where it goes. Put some bait in the water and start to see whether you're going to actually get a bite. That's what I ask you to do. Ask the Holy Spirit. Be deliberate. Be purposeful this week. The good thing is, is that God does use you. Remember as I said, Peter's sermon, though articulate, brilliant, excellent, and passionate, it would never have seen 3,000 people saved. That's God. Because we do the planting and we do the watering, but it's God who gives the increase. Our job is to go. God's job is to save. And then what happens out of that, this is what's brilliant as well, is that those 3,000 now go out and evangelize, right? So the church started in this big bang, 3,000 people saved in a day, baptized in a day, and they go out and that's glorious. I, I think that's fantastic. So for the next year or so, some people say it's about four months before Stephen is stoned and then the whole thing changes, right? So for the next, some people say four months, it's about a year, I tried, there's no real, you can't nail it down to how long it is, but it's somewhere between four months and one year before Stephen is stoned. So this is what happens, Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. So this is the 3,000. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising the Lord and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So you've got these 3,000 people, they get saved, they get baptised, and then these guys just have church. Right, for four months or one year, they just have church. It's awesome. Church is fantastic. Awe is just filling the room. We would love that. I reckon there's going to be a sense of awe tonight, by the way. Right? I just, you know, like, but it's just awe. The apostles are teaching, miracles are happening, people are getting saved. You're just going to go to church every day of the week. And by the look of it, they did. They went to the temple, it was on, and they broke bread in their homes. It's a great time. Church is awesome. And all of us would be in church every day if it was just like that every single time we went. But it doesn't last. And that's why with this passage, there's some people who try and teach that this is how you've got to do church. 
but it doesn't last. This was, I believe, descriptive, not prescriptive. There's, there's attitudes, there's things that we can take from that time, but we shouldn't be trying to actually replicate that because it was a time and eventually it stops. And it isn't like that any longer because what happens? Persecution comes. Peter and John come before the council because they're preaching, they're seeing things and they don't like it because their power's being taken away. People are not kind of engaging the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and all the scribes as they once were. So they see their power being taken away. So they bring them before the council and they get told, don't you preach. You're not gonna preach the word. And they're like, no, nah, that's not gonna happen. Right? We can't stop preaching. This is what God's put in our hearts. And so they don't listen to that and, and they stop preaching and great Miracles are happening with the apostles. Listen to this. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. I want to say that unity and being together comes through all of this. It, it, in every passage around evangelism, it's, it's around unity. You're bringing, there's a unity amongst the people. And then we start to see that there's like, you know, started to be a little bit of kind of, it's not everyone just getting saved and miracles. No, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women. So we see that this thing's just going off. People are coming. It's revival in the true sense of the word. Multitudes of men and women are being saved. And I believe that we need to see more miracles. We need to pray for more miracles. But I do believe that if we were actually bold enough to start praying for some unsaved people, we might start to see some more miracles. The word miracle means a sign. Miracles are given. It's good that God will heal us and it's all nice, but the miracles are a sign that God is real. Right in the book of John, you'll see that Jesus did a number of miracles and it says that Jesus did those miracles to show that the Father was with him. Yeah. And if sometimes we actually had the boldness to actually say, why don't I pray for your arm? Why don't I pray for that thing? Why don't I pray for that? Can I pray with you? Maybe we would start to see miracles rather than use that kind of power just to get something for us. God does want to heal us. I'm not trying to say God doesn't want to heal you if you're a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. But I do believe if you have a look at the book of Acts, almost every miracle is of someone who's not a Christian. Right, It's a sign. And sometimes we've got to have a bit of boldness to say, why can't I pray for you? I'll pray for you. All I ask is that like, you know, you let me know if something happens. And let God do His work. Right? Well, I sometimes believe that we just had that boldness, but that takes a boldness to ask, to ask your neighbour, to ask that guy at work. What if it doesn't work? We don't think. Well, honestly, whenever I've asked someone to pray, they're always happy for me to pray. Now, I don't sit down, lay my hands on them, right, and just go, and start yelling in tongues in the middle of wherever, the street or the supermarket. But there's ways in which you can do that. There's ways in which you can do that. And, and let faith, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment, let God do something in them. 
Don't just make the miraculous power of God be about what God can do for you, but ask God for miracles for the unbeliever so they can surely God has done this and that their hearts and minds go to God. So the next major occurrence is then the death of Stephen, the stoning of Stephen. And the time of miracles and many salvations, it kind of like changes then because now being a Christian can get you killed. Right? Like, it, it's serious now. Right? Like, it, it, it's, I could actually die and get killed for being a Christian. And Saul, who is ultimately one of the greatest evangelists ever, and we're going to talk about him in a moment, goes and kills and imprisons many people. So this is what Acts 1 says. And Saul approved of his execution, speaking of uh, Stephen stoning. So we, we, that's what it was. It was a pure execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So what was what we were asked to do? Preach in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and then all the rest of the earth. That was never going to happen if people just kept this blessing there in Jerusalem, I love church, church is awesome, this is great, this is fantastic, but persecution happens and then they're scattered. Now God didn't cause the persecution, that was the devil. God doesn't need to cause anything bad to happen in life, life will just happen to us. But then God uses those things and that persecution that came, God uses to do what he asked us to do, go into Samaria, go into Judea, go into all the mountains were, and they're scattered. Yeah. And that's what we do. The church needs to be scattered. Yeah. It can't just be at this building at Redcliffe, at Moranfield. The church has to scatter. You know, you think about it, in just this room here, we might got 150, 200 people here right now, right? So imagine how many different people we're gonna come into contact with. We may come into contact with 5,000 different people if we just have individuals in this place just now, right? That, that we can just talk to, that, that we can have some measure of effect. Scatter. That's what God wants the church to do. We come together on Sunday and then Monday, Tuesday, we scatter so that we can go out and tell people the goodness of Jesus. Up until then, it was all about the services, the church making those things fantastic. But church was never meant to be just about church, right? Like we, we, it has to be about seeing the world come to Christ. And so God uses the persecution of the church to see the gospel spread. And over the centuries, we see that wherever there's persecution, the church grows, Right? They've tried to stamp out the church. They've tried to break the church. They've tried to say the church will be of, of no consequence. You can go through history and you can look at great men who just kind of the church isn't going to be around anymore. So don't fear if you're hearing stuff now. Oh, the church is... No, God can still move. God works in the heart of the individual. God's eternity that's in their heart speaks to the eternity written in the heart of, 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 of when they meet eternity in God. And that's what we're called to do. I'm just called to get the eternal God that I know to speak to the eternity that's written in their heart. And I'm just the conduit of that happening. 
Now listen to what happened. It goes on in verse four. Now those who were scattered, what did they do? They went about preaching the word. Peter went down to the city of Samaria and prayed to them Christ, to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being done and being said by Philip when they heard and saw the signs that he did. So Philip is our next evangelist. Someone who maybe if the church had just stayed in Jerusalem, just having this is a glory time, this is wonderful, I love being in church. Church is so wonderful, all the, all the things are happening, oh, this is great. If the church is scattered, may never have been used in his gifting. His gifting was to go out and tell people about Jesus that he was gifted to do. If the church had stayed kind of all together, then he would never have been scattered to go out and preach the word. And some of our gifts that God has given us are great if you use them in church, but they're to be used out there as well as you go out and scatter the word of God. And we see here the mindset of the early church. We're not just going to start a church in these new areas and meet with the people who have scattered with us, right? So we're not just coming to Samaria and all those who have left Jerusalem over here, right? They're all over here. Now we're going to all meet here. And we're now going to have our little church over in Samaria from all the persecuted Christians in Jerusalem. No, they go out and preach the word. It's not just about them. It's to preach the word. It's to go out there and tell them about the Christ. And that's what they do. It's the death of a church if all it wants to do is keep its members happy. I heard Sam Monk, he used this great quote, the church is the only organisation built for people who have yet to join. And so when we go out, it's not so, it's so we can actually tell people about Jesus. God's church always has a mindset to preach the gospel to those who are going to hell. Then Philip, he teaches us that as evangelists, we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. See a common theme here. See, remember, I'm not trying to sell people something. Right? I'm not here trying to tell you the features and benefits of the emerged church water. By the way, we didn't get water, we just got labels made, right? So uh, <laughs> it's just normal water, right? So uh, it's holy water. I'll sell it to you in the foyer. No, but uh, uh, no, no. <laughs> so, sorry, take that off the. <laughs> right, so, uh, so you understand? I'm not here selling you the features and benefits of this water. When I'm telling someone about Jesus, I'm not selling the features and benefits of being a Christian. I'm trying to get them a connection with the heavenly father who loves them, made them. It's got a purpose for their life. That's what I'm trying to do. So I need the Holy Spirit to do that. Remember, as I said, it's a spiritual act. I'm trying to get the eternity that's written in their hearts to connect with the ever-living, everlasting, eternal God. So our goal isn't to get them to church. Our goal isn't to get someone into church. Our goal is them to meet Jesus and to come. And eventually, then they'll come to church. My is not to fill a seat. My is to fill a seat in heaven. Out of that relationship with God, out of them knowing God, right, then eventually they'll come to church. When I got saved, I literally had no idea that a church, you've heard me say this a hundred times, but I didn't trust the church. I didn't trust anyone going to the church. Everyone my age was doing drugs. And so these people were just weird to me. 
I knew that Jesus was real. I loved this Jesus part of it, but the church part of it I didn't understand. But it wasn't long before I, I was in every church service there possibly was, and I still love going to church. The church is, is the easiest thing that I do. I just love doing it. So Paul is, Philip, sorry, is constantly listening for God's voice as to where to go. So he's in the middle of a revival. It's going off in Samaria. People are getting saved. People are getting baptised. It's going on so much that he needs help. So they sent Peter and James to come and help. It's just fantastic. Many are saved, many baptised. There's a magician, a well-known magician in that area who would do all sorts of spells and had all these sorts of power. He sees the power of the Holy Spirit. He tries to buy it. He sees what is happening through Philip's and he wants to buy the power of God and, and Philip deals with him. So it's fantastic, everything's going on. And while he's in prayer, God says, I want you to leave this revival. I want you to leave all this stuff that's fantastic, that's amazing, that's incredible, because there's this one person over here and I need you to go and talk to this one person. But God, I'm in the middle of revival. These meetings are amazing. There are thousands, of kids. oh, this is, no, there's this one person over here that you gotta go and speak to. And so he goes and he goes and speaks to this Ethiopian eunuch, right? And this Ethiopian eunuch, he was, he was, and they talked to him. What does he do? He gets them baptised. It's really interesting. All the stories when someone gets saved, they always get baptised. 3,000 get baptised straight away in Jerusalem. They immediately get baptised in Samaria. The Ethiopian eunuch gets baptised. In a moment, I'll, I'll read another story of someone getting baptised. You know, we got baptisms next week. And maybe you've never been baptised. It's, it's what God wants us to do. It's a command of Jesus. It says, go and preach the gospel, baptising them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's very interesting. It wasn't long, probably 70 years later, and they're already making all of these rules before you get baptised. You have to be doing this, you have to be doing that. One of them was that you had to be a Christian for a year and someone had to stand up and testify of your good character. And then you're allowed to be baptised. They were obviously not reading what was happening in Acts. Yeah. It was like, get baptised, let God do this thing. Yeah. Let's make it about God rather than about a church imposing a whole lot of <laughs> behaviour rules upon you. Right? God can actually look after people. God is enough. God is enough. And that it, the church just should just encourage and stir Right, what's going on? As I said, I've been in church more. I've been in thousands of meetings. I love church. I go to church in my holidays, right? Like it's never, but it's not church that got me saved. It's Jesus. And the more you love Jesus, I think the more you'll be in church, but the order's right. You understand? The order's right. The order's right. And so he gets baptized, right? And baptism is a common thread. So next Sunday night, we're being having baptismal service, you haven't been baptised, please see one of our pastors and we'll make sure that you can get baptised next week. So Peter leaves the crowd to go after the one. And I think this is the majority message for all of us. See, the majority of us here in church aren't going to be on this pulpit preaching the crowds. You're the one who's going to speak to one. You're going to speak to the guy doing his job, the girl going about her business, the one. God will, by His Holy Spirit, especially if you ask Him, lead you to the one. 
See, the New Testament of Jesus, of the new, of, of the new covenant, is individual, dealing with us as individuals. The Old Testament is about God dealing with a group of people, the Israelites, and, and this is how to get to God. You do these things and do these sacrifices, and it was about how God dealt with a group of people, but the New Covenant is about one, is how He deals with you. When I stand before God on that day, I'm not going to stand with Nina. I'm not going to stand with my kids. I'm not going to stand with my church. I'm going to stand before God. I'm the one who's going to stand before God. God deals with individuals. The church is a group of followers of Christ coming together, but the church doesn't get saved. Individuals get saved. Individuals come to Jesus. And, And Philip leaves the crowd to go after the one. And so there may be millions of people who don't know Jesus. And sometimes we can just kind of, it's just too much, God. The whole world does it. It's just too much. But it does make a difference to the one that you're speaking to, to that soul that you are speaking to. It actually makes a difference. And also, too, whether they get saved at that time or not, what you have spoken to them can actually come back to remembrance to them in time. At some other stage, the Holy Spirit can speak to them. So don't ever believe that telling just one person isn't significant in the kingdom. So then what happens is that Paul is saved. Now Paul is saved in a dramatic way. He's going to Damascus. He's about to uh, go and kill Christians and imprison Christians. The Bible says he's uttering threats as he's riding on his horse. It doesn't say he's a horse, but I've always thought there's a horse. right? And, uh, And so he gets saved. A light from heaven comes, this is Jesus, and and he gets saved. And that's a very unusual salvation. The direct intervention of God, where God just comes and gets someone, where they haven't asked for it, you know, and that's unusual. Normally, people get saved, and if I were to go around this room here, it was because you knew someone who told you about Jesus, and then you accepted, and they brought you to church, and something happened, and you gave your life to Christ. Right? It's very unusual for God just to intervene. Still happens. I, I knew a Sikh lady at, uh, in, in Adelaide, and she literally had a dream. She'd never heard of Jesus, didn't know Jesus existed. She was a Sikh, and God came to her in a dream, said he was Jesus. She gave her life to Jesus, and she's just full on for God right now. Right, so that, that was excellent, right? So I had a PA, my PA back in Adelaide. She was a Malaysian girl. She had never heard of Jesus. And one day she got joss sticks, which is kind of like incense sticks, and she burnt them, and you burn them to your ancestors. So it's a demonic thing. She did a demonic thing, and she burnt these joss sticks, and she said, if there's any God out there, my life is a mess and terrible things are going on. If there's anyone out there, I need to know you. God saw her heart and the next day she met a Christian. Never heard the name Jesus. It's 19 years old. There are people in this world who are 19 years old who have never heard of Jesus. It's, we can't imagine that. She never heard didn't know that there was a Jesus, didn't know that there was a Christianity. She's just a simple village girl in uh, the villages in in, uh, rural Malaysia, and she finds Jesus. And let me tell you, she was full on for God. We would sometimes have prayer meetings with 500 people at Paradise, 
And I could tell you exactly where she was because she was the loudest prayer, man. She knew her Jesus. It was just fantastic. So God will sometimes just intervene, but it's highly unusual. So Paul, Saul now becomes Paul. And Paul goes on an evangelism blitz. He disciples so many others and they just go out and preach the gospel. Now it's 14 years before when Saul gets knocked off his horse to his first missionary journey. You can see that through the book of Galatians. So in that time, he's just making tents. He's just a tent maker, but he's telling people about Jesus, telling people about Jesus, and then he's sent off on his missionary journey. Don't think it has to be some big thing. For 14 years, he was a tent maker, just leading people to the Lord. So let's go over to Acts 19. And it happened while, that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country that came to Ephesus. Then he found some disciples and he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So here's Paul's first question he finds out. And he goes, okay, did you believe? Did you see the Holy Spirit? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, to that, what were you baptised? They said, John's baptism. Paul said, John baptised with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. You know, one of the things of our youth camp is that we always make sure that we have a time where we pray for all of our kids that they be baptised in the Holy Spirit, that they would speak in tongues and they would prophesy. And it says, and he entered the there were about 12 men in all, and they entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them, took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. I love this. Paul uses his story. He uses his knowledge. And we all have a story and we all have some knowledge. You know, let me explain. So you all know that I play darts on a Thursday night so that I can be with people who don't go to church, right? So, and, and, and Dean's there now. He's, he's, he comes to church, which is nice. We like Dean, right? Now I chose darts. Dean may argue with this because I believe I've got some skills, right? And I've got some knowledge. I didn't join a, a classic car club, right? Because I don't know anything about classic. That would be you, Brad, right? You can join a classic car. I didn't join a, a woodworking club or something to do with tools. I, I didn't join a theatre group. And Jesse's very happy for that. Right? I have no skills. I have no desires there. I don't have any knowledge in those areas, but I know a little bit about darts. I know all the pub sports, right? So... Uh, so, but I didn't have any, and you know, when I'm with them, I don't sit down and let's do a Bible study on John 6. Right? This is what I preached on Sunday. Can I, can I practice this with you guys? Right? You, you know, like, I don't, I don't do that. I just tell them my story. I have a bit of a joke with them, laugh with them and talk with them. And all of a sudden, they will just make times, different things have happened. Even this week, one of the guys from Darts gave me a call and, and something very serious had happened. And 
who did he ring? He rang me, right? Because there's just, I emerged as someone to speak to in his life. You know, some listen to me, some talk to me about all manner of things, some have come to church, and some think I'm just a lunatic, right, as well. Right? I'm not actually responsible for the result, but I am responsible to faithfully, week by week, share my knowledge and share my story, and the rest is up to God. Acts 16 tells the story of Paul leading Lydia to Jesus. And on a Sabbath day, we went outside to get the, break, the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One of us, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul and after she was baptized. So literally every time someone gets saved, every time someone has a counter, there's a baptism. And her household as well, and she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And that's where the church to the Philippians, the church in Philippia starts, Philippi, sorry, starts in Lydia's house. What does he do? He's in a town, knows where the people are, goes there, sees Lydia, preaches. And what happens? The Lord opens her heart. That's what we're looking for, for God to open her heart, God to open people's hearts. I want to tell you how easy it is. When I got saved, the person who told me about God was not a Christian. It's still not a Christian. I'm in a pub in Adelaide in the middle of the day, a girl who's not a Christian sees how low my life has gone. She went to church once. She tells me about it and something happened in my heart. The eternity in my heart was touched. It wasn't her great sale. She didn't even go. She didn't even believe. She wasn't even a Christian, but she saw something. But she, God used her. That's all we've got to be. It's not how good you are, it's how good God is. But if we don't actually go and tell someone, if we make it about us, we're going to be limited. If it's about me, well, I better get it right and I better say it right and I better do this right and I better do that. But if it's up to God, all I need to be is the vehicle. All I need to be is the vehicle. It is the Lord who will open up their hearts to heed what was said by you. It's the Lord who will open up the heart. Maybe the band could come. It's not that hard. We sometimes just get scared. Let me finish with Andrew. It's not from Acts, but he's actually the first disciple that Jesus called, John 1.40. One of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. What does he do? So he finds Jesus. Jesus spoke to him and he says, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Think about that, right? He brought him to Jesus, one of the two. That's all you have to do. He's a Christian for like one minute. Andrew just heard about Jesus. And what does he do? He goes and he tells people about Jesus. And then all of a sudden, right, 
people start coming to Jesus. That's what we've got to do. See, new people to church will bring new people to church. New Christians will bring new Christians to church. Right? When I got saved, I didn't know a Christian. Everyone I knew wasn't a Christian. So everyone I told was a non-Christian. I told everyone. Let me tell you, I told everyone when I first got saved. I was just crazy for the things of God. And that's all you have to do. You know, Richard Gabakian, who preaches here, he started his church. He said, God, I haven't, I'm not an evangelist. I can't speak to people. Give me an evangelist. So he goes to work one day and he's because he's still working. His church is just new. And he gets in a car. He's got to go somewhere with this guy. And the guy looks at him because you're the preacher, aren't you? He's like, oh, he wasn't expecting that because it was kind of aggressive, right? And he goes, oh, yeah, I'm doing a church. And, and so they just start talking and talks to him about Jesus. And then this guy, his name was Paul, gets saved. At the end of the day, prays with him, leads him to the Lord. That night, Paul rings him back and says, look, my wife's mad with me, right? She's not happy about this at all. You, you need to come over on Thursday night and you need to tell her what you told me, right? And so he went there and he told her and she, she gets saved, right? Then she goes, oh, my family not gonna like this. They're not going to be happy with this. They're, you know, we're this denomination. We're definitely not those guys, you guys. Right? Can you come over next Thursday night? I'm going to bring my sister. All right? He recently had something at church where 175 people stood on his stage that had got saved because that person led that person, led that person, led that person. Because he said, God, and that's why. Because it's really not about, it's about those that lead someone. Someone, you know, that girl, I, I, I don't know the theology of this, who led, told me about Jesus first, where it leapt in my heart. You've got to think God's going to do something for her, right? Like, I mean, I'm, that's, I'm not boasting in myself, right? But I, I just think, I don't know, I have to check that out. Sorry, I'm having a little moment myself here, right? But, uh, right, like, uh, th there's a reward. The Bible says, he who wins souls is wise. And it's something that we should all endeavour to do. And if you haven't led someone to the Lord, if you haven't had that privilege, if you haven't had that sense of happy, scared, when God's putting it on you to speak to someone, I'm going to ask you to have that today. You know, check yourself. How many non-Christians are you having to do life with? And many of you would work, so it's a bit easier. Pretty much everyone I'm a, that I work with is a Christian. A bit worried about Nina, right? But uh, um, <laughs> but to go and speak to people, have a boldness. Why don't you stand with me right now? I'm going to pray. Father. Your Holy Spirit was given to us to have a boldness to go out and share the gospel. But Father, I pray for everyone who hasn't had that privilege of actually leading someone through to the Lord. Father, Lord, let them decide it's not gonna be someone else, it's gonna be me. I wanna lead someone to Jesus. Father, they don't need to be super smart. They don't need to have all their doctrine right. They don't need to have all their lives perfectly lacking no sin and all of that. They just need to tell their story, oh God, why you're real to them.
what You've done for them. And then it's up to You, God. We ask that You would use us, O Lord, that this week, when we're going about our life, our business, when we're doing what we do, that, Father, You would just give us ways, Father, in which just to, to get in, O Lord. Father, I think of all these people, if they just actually saw You for who You are, they would rush to You, O God. Father, before I was a Christian, I had no idea. Didn't even think I wanted to know. But all of a sudden, one day, that eternity that was written in my heart, that spirit that was dead inside of me, Father, sparked up something happened and I was born again. I was born of the Spirit, oh God. Father, I pray that You would take away the mindset that it's about us. That's what we have to do, it's just us. But Lord, it's about what You do, oh Lord, that You would bring conviction, that You would bring this sense that people need God. Father, Lord, that You would open their hearts like You open up the heart of Lydia to heed what it is that we're saying, oh God. Father, opens people's spirits, oh God, as we speak to them, oh Lord. Let a boldness come, oh God. Father, let us have a boldness to, to pray for miracles, oh Lord, to say, can I pray for that area? Can I pray for that son? Can I pray for that condition? Can I pray for that job issue? Can I pray? And Father, believe for a miracle, oh God, a sign that shows that You are true and that You are real, oh God. Father, we wanna see people encounter You. Come to Christ. That salvation, Father, be something that happens in this house on a regular basis, oh God. We just ask for that in Jesus' Name. Amen. Now I want to do one final thing. And I want to ask you, anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus, would you like to know Jesus? Would you like to know that Jesus has made such a, an amazing difference in everything in my life. Nina said today at communion, let's like thank God. I just had to go, just thank you that for my life. Literally everything good in my life is because of Jesus. I got nothing in my life that Jesus hasn't given me. I just thank God for my life. So if you don't know Jesus, I'd like to introduce you to Jesus. I'd like to say you can know Jesus. He's a real, He loves you. You can walk and talk with Him. So if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus and you'd like to know Jesus like that, why don't you just raise your hand? I'd love to pray with you. Is there anyone at all as I look over? As I look over, thank you. Thank you. I'll come and pray for you after. Anyone else? Anyone else? Father, there's a sense of the Spirit of God right now. It's goodness. His goodness, His goodness is here. Just close your eyes. It's good, Louise, it's nice. He's a good God. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed for God. You don't need to apologize for God. You don't need to have all the right answers. Tell your story. Tell what happened to you. It doesn't need to be all doctrinal. 
It's Jesus. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. We want people to experience you, your goodness, your goodness. You know, sometimes in church, I've been a Christian for 40 years, and sometimes in church, just might maybe a moment like this, maybe just an altar call, and I, and I literally sit there like I was when I was a new Christian, like the first time. And I feel like this little boy. I feel like here I am supposed to be the senior pastor and the pastor know everything, have it all together. And I'll sit there often in that just little corner, just look at this, because it's dark there, no one can see me, right? And it's just, I just like this little kid. I just love Jesus. I just, I just sense Jesus. I just, I'm just glad that He's my Savior. That's what I want people to have. I hope they go to church. I hope they learn the Word. I hope they do all the different things that we do. But it's, it's just that, that, that simplicity of Christ Jesus. We can make it so complicated sometimes. And sometimes I just thank God. Just, I just want, it's you. It's you. It's you. He's real. That's what I want people to experience. Amen. Amen. You know, come to.